Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It's July the 13th, 2021. And without wishing to be too cheesy, I can't use the opportunity of July the 13th to talk about good and bad luck. I wonder whether July 13th, 2021, and indeed 2021 in general, is a good or a bad, a lucky or an unlucky year for big tech and for the startup community. I'm talking from San Francisco, ground zero for Silicon Valley. So uh, this is a subject I know all too well. The news is uh, mixed in some ways this morning. Joe Biden is styling himself, according to the Financial Times this morning, as a 21st century trust buster. Um, The FT suggests that whatever Biden styles himself as, that's not necessarily borne out in reality. But tech is certainly under the the microscope. Uh, New York Times headlines today, GOP lawmakers are questioning Amazon's relationship with uh, a Pentagon uh, contract, uh, which had which had been taken away uh, from Microsoft and which is still up in the air. Uh, And uh, globally, uh, things are perhaps bleak in some ways for big tech. Uh, News today out of France, never a great friend of Silicon Valley and American technology companies, is France now is fining Google almost $600 million for not negotiating in good faith with news publishers, with the newspapers. Um, This brings to mind one of the great busts of Silicon Valley, or at least of tech startups over the last couple of years, uh, WeWorks. We're all familiar with WeWorks, perhaps a little bit more familiar two years ago than we were today. A couple of years ago, WeWorks was all over the news, but its IPO was a big bust. Um, and its founder, Adam Newman, became a, a pinup for, I think, uh, a translucent fraud. Uh, here we have a, 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 a photo of him for people uh, not able to uh, to be watching. Um, and yet even today, uh, uh, in the middle of 2021, uh, WeWork seems to be coming back. Um, uh, Newman is no longer in charge of the company, but the company posted its best sales number since uh, 2019, uh, last month. Uh, and there's even talk uh, that WeWorks will once again go public. WeWorks, I think, is a parable. It's a lesson uh, for most of us, perhaps an inspiration for for some. And we're lucky enough that there's a really major... uh, Oh, sorry. And uh, in addition uh, addition to uh, Newman's... um, uh, In addition to WeWorks reappearance, uh, Adam Newman is also reappearing. Uh, There was a a Wall Street Journal piece... um, uh, a couple of weeks ago about him paying $44 million for two Miami beach properties. Um, uh, Newman, again, pictured in the Wall Street Journal in his somewhat absurd um, uh, WeWorks uniform. The author of that Wall Street Journal piece about Newman's acquisition um, of the Miami beachfront properties 
uh, is also the co-author of a new book about uh, WeWork. So really interesting and I think important book, both in its narrative form and in terms of the moral lessons and perhaps opportunities it's offer. Uh, it's called The Cult of We. Uh, we Work, Adam Newman, and the Great Startup Delusion. It's by two Wall Street Journal reporters, Elliot Brown and Maureen Farrell. And I'm thrilled that Maureen is on the show today. Uh, Maureen, apologies for such a, a, a garrulous introduction. You have many more things uh, interesting to say about WeWorks than I do. Um, very briefly, uh, what is the state of WeWorks today? Is it dead? Is it half dead? Or has it been re resurrected in this resurrectional summer of 2021? To a certain extent, it has been resurrected. Um, later this summer, maybe even in September, you and I, anybody could theoretically go and buy um, shares of WeWork. It's going to go public through this thing known as a SPAC. It's called a Special Purpose Acquisition Vehicle. It was purchased by it. So it'll finally, at long last, be a publicly traded company. And it seems to have survived the pandemic. I mean, it was, you know, the pandemic could have been the death knell for the company with, you know, no one really going to the office, but they've gotten, they brought in a new CEO. He's from the real estate world and, um, you know, it's not in amazing shape, but it does seem like it's rebuilding and resurrecting, as you said. Well, um, a bit late for Easter when it comes to resurrection, uh, but we'll get back to the issue of SPACs and what that means for the startup industry and whether that's another scam. Uh, the guy at the heart of it is uh, at the heart of your book. This remarkable character, love him or hate him, there's no doubt that he's a remarkable, uh, I I'm not sure if he's a young man, he's a youngish man, Adam Newman. T tell me about this, this character, Newman, what he's like and how he started WeWorks, Maureen. Sure. Um, so by every single account I've ever heard, Adam Newman might be the most charismatic person you'd ever meet. Um, he came over to the U.S. Um, in his mid to late 20s. Um, he was born in Israel um, and he came over. He, his sister is actually a model um, in New York. So after he got out of the military, he decided to come over and from the very beginning, he went to school at Baruch College in New York, moved in with his sister, but everyone said that he was always dreaming up business ideas. And the, the one major one he kind of stumbled on when he was still um, at the university here was something called crawlers. And it was essentially putting knee pads on baby clothes to make babies more comfortable when they crawled. <laughs> Just sort of, if you have children, if you know children. I mean, it's absurd, but no more absurd than thousands of other startups, right? Sure. And I guess the absurd thing is he kind of really started, got this business going. I mean, people, we talked to people who met him at the time, were totally captivated by him. He sort of built something out of this ridiculous idea, but it only got so far. And at some point in the late, uh, like around 20, 2008, 2009, he met an architect in New York and they started talking about this idea that was sort of out there at the time of subleasing office space. And he and the man who wound up being his co-founder, Miguel McKelvey, started this company. The first iteration of it was known as Green Desk in Brooklyn. And then it ultimately became what's, what was WeWork. And it was, you know, just recreating these spaces and 
if you were a solo entrepreneur, uh, you could go in and rent out a fully sort of baked office and by the month, you didn't have to go and set up your whole own office. So- I mean, to be fair, and I, I'm anything but a, um, somebody who, 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 who is easily seduced by these sorts of startup ideas. It's not as insane an idea um, as in, in initial terms, as as Airbnb or Uber getting into other people's cars or going to live in other people's homes. I mean, the idea of sharing office space in an economy increasingly dominated by a precariat where people work less and less for big companies and more for themselves it is not absurd, is it, Maureen? No, not at all. It's a, it is a really great point. I mean, the, the sort of leap you had to make to stay in someone else's house or as you said, get in someone else's car. It's not there. I mean, it just, it makes sense on the face of it. You don't want to pay for, spend all the time and effort and cost of setting up every single thing for an office. If you're a solo entrepreneur, it's great to come right in. It's, you have everything you need and then you get to be around other people. And the spaces were, you know, it was something, it was an idea that was out there. Other people had been doing it other companies, even in New York, were doing it. Uh, I know uh, a Russian entrepreneur, actually, who who had a similar company, not as successful. So if we accept that the idea is not completely absurd, what is so absurd about Newman? Why did he take a, a reasonably coherent, interesting idea and, and, and make such a, I guess, a mockery of it and, 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 and make so much money for himself and lose so many other people's money? Well, I guess just to first start off, it was this idea. Many people, as we've said, have, were doing it at the time. What Newman did was uh, think bigger by orders of magnitude than everyone else just did <laughs> from day one. I mean, you we've talked to people. He was opening up his first office, and it was really hard to convince the landlord to let them take the space, these guys who didn't really know anything necessarily about real estate. And as he was negotiating that lease, which went on and on and on, he was talking to everybody about, you know, when we have 30 properties, when we're global. And he says these kind of things with such uh, conviction that people, even even at that moment when it seems so outlandish, people say it's hard not to sort of follow him and believe it. And then he executed on it. So I, so I guess that's the first part, Andrew. Uh, and Maureen, jump, jumping in again, uh, uh, you, you said he's the most charismatic individual um, you've ever met and most people have ever met. But Zuckerberg did the same thing with Facebook. Uh, it's been chronicled in, in lots of different ways. Travis Kalanick did the same thing with Uber. Take a kind of interesting idea and scale it absurdly. And, and that's the way you sell it. That's the way you raise money. So is there something exceptional about what he did in terms of this scaling this sales pitch to investors? Um, So two things there. It is a great point. I mean, there's not, there are a few, a handful of entrepreneurs you can name and you've named two of them, Mark Zuckerberg, Travis Kalanick, who just thought bigger than everyone else and could start to execute on it. Um, The two things I would say that make WeWork different is from the very beginning, he made Adam Newman made these jumps and got investors to make these jumps of saying, okay, you you would think this is a real estate company, right? Everything we just talked about, you sublease office space. Adam Newman realized the valuations of tech companies like Facebook were so different from the valuations of real estate companies 
mm. that he just told everyone, this is not, don't think of it as a real estate company. I mean, he went in so far as to get frustrated if retail real estate reporters, including my co-author, Elliot Brown, who's a real estate reporter at the time, would write about WeWork. He thought they had no business writing about WeWork because it wasn't a real estate company. It was a tech community company. So he went out and raised money predicated on that idea successfully. And I mean, it's that's something that's kind of floored me every step of the way writing and reporting this book is Adam's ability with the most sophisticated investors in the world to tell them what was one thing where the financials very much looked like a real estate company was not it. It was a, it was a tech company instead. A, not only a tech company, but a lifestyle tech company because yeah. he was selling... He was selling a, 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 a dream uh, in the same way when you go to the uh, the WeWork site today, even though um, Newman is no longer involved in the company, it's still premised on the selling of a dream. If you go to WeWorks, you have this front page of this beautiful office overlooking uh, Central Park uh, uh, in, in New York or some other wonderful downtown uh, urban uh, metropolis. Um, so it, it's all about sales, isn't it, Maureen? Exactly. And the, and the whole branding. And I mean, that obviously that's made so many businesses what they are, this brand selling that lifestyle. But what Adam did was just multiply that to a degree. I mean, it just take that the differences in the valuation of that. I mean, normally branding can only add so much and it can't fundamentally turn something in one industry into something else. But he managed to do that. But one other thing, just to, you brought up Travis Kalanick and, you know, they were they were uh, going out there, building their businesses around the same time. Travis Kalanick sort of perfected the art of going global and raising funds, building this global business, going all over the world to raise billions of dollars. Adam Newman very much followed his lead. One huge difference is that Travis Kalanick never sold any stock in his company. For all the other things he did, he obviously got pushed out as CEO himself, but he made a point of telling investors, I believe in this com company, I will never sell any stock. And he didn't basically until he was pushed out. Adam Newman, in most rounds, started selling stock and it became more and more extreme. And you know, normally that would just raise some red flags. A, num a number of people we spoke to had just never seen a private company CEO take as much money out of his own company or her own company as Adam Newman did. Uh, Maureen, in your epilogue, you quote, in my view, the greatest American novel of all time, uh, Fitzgerald's The Great Gatsby, certainly the most American novel of all time. Uh, it's a very famous uh, couple of sentences. Uh, they were careless people. They smashed up things and creatures and then retreated back into their money or their vast carelessness or whatever it was that kept them together and let other people clean up the mess they had made. Um, so, so two questions associated with this. Firstly, is Newman a Gatsby? And then secondly, and perhaps uh, adding a, a second character to this uh, narrative, uh, Newman was is famously married to a woman called Rebecca Victoria Newman, who is his co-conspirator, perhaps co-criminal in this narrative. Uh, so, so first address the the the, the Fitzgerald uh, Gatsby uh, question, and then talk to me a little bit about Rebecca Newman. Sure. I mean, there's there are parallels there clearly. Um, I mean, he was sort of 
putting on this persona. He built this, came to America, built this life, built this company. Um, I, I see parallels um, for sure. Something, uh, and then his, and he, you bring up his wife, which is interesting. His wife uh, grew up very differently. She grew up actually in the town that, she was born and raised in a town on Long Island that um, I think it was West Egg in in the yeah, Great. So she she's straight out of Central Casting uh, for <laughs> for Gatsby, uh, and she's the uh, she's connected with Gwyneth Paltry, a cousin for better or worse. Yes, yeah, she's Gwyneth's Gwyneth's first first cousin. Their dads are brothers, um, and yeah, basically, I mean, she lived this very. Um, you know, extreme life. She grew up very wealthy, um, and I mean, she had a lot of pers- she had a lot of personal challenges. Like very sad things happened in her family. I mean, her brother passed away when she was young from cancer. Um, but basically, I mean, Adam met her when uh, around the time he was starting Green Desk and WeWork, and he was always ambitious. He was always striving. But I think what we understand is he met her, and she had this level of affluence and sort of an ease mm. of living in that world, Daisy-esque, um, that he was, I mean, he was captivated by her. It seemed like it, they were just immediately- Was she, uh, you know, bringing, can't resist bringing Shakespeare into this, was there a little bit of the Lady Macbeth about her, perhaps the the, the stronger character in the partnership, leading him astray? <laughs> um, it seems she was definitely, there's no doubt about it, that she was a very strong character. And well, a she very remains. Strong. Are they still married? They're still married, yes. Um, they're still married. They have a, a big family. They have many children. And, um, yeah, they seem like they have this... Uh, they, they, they was a true partnership, and from each step of the way, it seemed like she sort of pushed him to think bigger. I mean, he thought as big as anyone could, and she maybe would push him to think even bigger. And she just had a, she just introduced him to worlds that were totally different from his own. That also naturally sort of pushed him further. But I mean, there are definitely, especially as time goes on in the book and in in the um, life of the company that you hear her pushing him in directions um, and he was definitely under her spell um, that were, you know, he was, he was very, very good at pushing himself in. Uh, and she even has her own, uh, or she had her own uh, WeWork style education yoga school startup for the ultra rich. It's, it's all perfect for a movie, uh, Maureen, I'm sure someone will. I know there's already a, a movie about WeWorks, but perhaps there'll be a another one based on your book. Um, and there's even, you, you talked about um, him going global quite quickly. There's even a, a, another global character in the book who somehow captures the absurdity of startup life, a, a, a Japanese investor billionaire called Masayoshi's son. Tell me about son and why he's so central both in the book and in the narrative of WeWorks. Sure. So yes, he's a billionaire investor. He's based in Tokyo, a big investor in tech companies and sort of builder of tech companies over time. And his company, SoftBank, um, has he he one of his um, you know he was a billionaire, one of the richest men in the world. At the during the dot com boom, he likes to sort of brag that he both became one of the richest men in the world and then lost more money than anyone had ever 
um, as the dot-com boom, there, it was a bust. He's this extreme risk taker, obviously Adam Newman is. They, uh, Adam had gone all over the globe basically raising money and was sort of running out of places he could possibly go. And then he meets Masa, as he's known, in 2016. And Masa at that time had just raised the largest fund ever to invest in tech companies. It was basically a $100 billion fund. He did that using some of his own money, but also um, meeting uh, Mohammed bin Salman, the crown prince of Saudi Arabia. So another <laughs> symbolic character in this narrative, the the enlightened or the quote-unquote enlightened, the new enlightened despot, the, the Peter the Great or the wannabe Peter the Great or Catherine the Great of Saudi Arabia. So this has a very global feel. And of course, uh, Sun lost a lot of money uh, at WeWorks. Uh, it valued WeWork at $2.9 billion, down from $47 billion a, a, the year before when they put money in. How much money did uh, SoftBank lose in WeWorks? Oh, gosh. I think it was about $10 billion. That sort of seemed like it was torched. Um, the, the, one, the one asterisk there is that they're still investors. They're sort of majority investors right now in this, this newest iteration of WeWork that's going public. So who knows ultimately? But I mean, even to kind of recoup what's been lost, the company would have to get to such great heights and they'd have to get out of it. And then there's if should they ever recoup their investment, um, sort of hard to imagine, and it will take a long time. And but they, I mean, yeah, Masa, uh, yeah. Maureen, your 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 book begins beautifully. The crowd filling the Microsoft Theater in downtown Los Angeles buzzed with anticipation. Technicians in the control room readied cameras and then unleashed a kaleidoscopic array of spotlights that lit up the theater the same one used for the Emmys. The roughly 5,000 attendees began to rise from their seats, cheering and clapping their hands to the beat of a pulsating pop song. Adam Newman um, emerged. It, it kind of reminds me of Dave Edgar's Circle, his wonderfully prescient fiction about cult-like companies in Silicon Valley, which, collect, which collapsed work and private life is Newman and um uh, and WeWorks are they are they the sort of the the non-fictional version of, of Edgar's The Circle I've never read that book um so I'm gonna put it on my list it's this looks like yeah I you should. need to read it I think you'll find it very interesting the way that the company is turned into a cult there's certainly a very cult-like quality not just to the way in which WeWorks was and perhaps still is marketed, but to working for WeWorks. Uh, what did they do to, 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 to generate so much devotion, a cult-like religious quality to the nature of their employees? Um, I mean, it happened in, in big and small ways. I mean, I'll just say, I mean, just going back to Adam and his wife, Rebecca Newman, she was very involved in the Kabbalah Center in LA when she lived there. And um, Adam became very interested in Kabbalah, the sort of mystical, um, spiritual uh, group. And they, I mean, he would bring a lot of phrases. He would bring his kind of spiritual guru from Kabbalah into the office and have his senior executives 
have weekly meetings with with this man. Um, and that was just so it was it was overt the spiritual spirituality. They also just sort of made it a place where you know you're supposed to work twenty four seven. There are a lot of very young people. It was fun in many ways. I mean, there were parties for everything constantly. Adam liked to say he never grew, he didn't grow up in America, so he never went to summer camp. So they had a summer camp that he, they'd bring in the best bands. There was alcohol, drugs. I mean, it was a, it was a crazy. The whole company was crazy outlandish. Back to night, I, I don't know if you were around in the late nineties. I had my own startup then, uh, failed of course, but it was really back to the late nineties, was it? It's very. I mean, it seems very much just throwing money at ideas. Work is life. Um, yeah, I mean, it was just. It was this sort of took over everything, and it, and it kept on go getting more and more extreme as the company grew, and putting more money towards it. I mean, by 2018, the final summer camp, they did it in, in this giant field in England, and they flew people from all over the entire globe. I mean, I, they had thousands upon thousands of employees by then. Everyone came. I mean, this final summer camp, they were all, all the employees, uh, but a few were in tents, six to a tent. They shared bathrooms. Adam, his wife, a few others, including his co-founders, were up on a hill that they can look over and see these tents. And they're like, the scene of them is wild looking. It looks kind of like a Game of Thrones ish or something. Um, and yeah, they they looked down from above and had these, you know, their own nothing like a tent, these sort of incredible accommodations. Um, it was, yeah, every everything, but they they made it fun fun to a certain extent, but it was like you, you're brought into the cult. Adam would give speeches. I mean, Adam can't help, but he just kind of comes alive and as he's giving speeches. Um and, you know, people started getting d- very disillusioned as time went on, as they were seeing. Well, I mean, it's like a cult. People f- fall out of love with it. I, you know, you said earlier that um, uh, Newman insisted that it was a tech company rather than a real estate company, a digital rather than an analog company. Uh, in some ways, perhaps there's some truth to that, um, perhaps in terms of its success or its potential it's 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 success in the past in terms of raising so much money uh, i've i've had sherry turkle the very distinguished mit tech writer on the show many times she's of course the author of a number of books in particular alone together to what extent do you think uh, maureen that weworks has fed off the the alienation the atomization which tech has is both the cause and an effect of in in the in the early 2020s or in the the 20 teens the late 20 teens the way in which we're addicted to our cell phones that we can only talk to one another through text that 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 the social even though that's been turned into a cult by networking companies like uh, facebook and linkedin and twitter has really been the victim of the digital revolution and i guess in a in a kind of analog way, WeWorks is an extension of the cult of the social, which, of course, uh, you write about in The Cult of We. Well, he, I mean, uh, Adam Newman kind of brilliantly co-opted all the all the different elements and strands you're sort of talking about 
into his pitch for the company. And it, I mean, it's a super compelling one. He you know, was saying, Facebook, the tech and the internet has brought us, made us all about the I and, you know, we're, we're brought together, but we're all separated. And he was reintroducing the we, like the community was so important and people were losing a sense of community in this social media era, which is true, of course. Um, and that was what he was going to bring back. And that was kind of going to be his gift to the world. And I mean, there was something about these spaces. You talk to people not just employees, but the people who worked in them, they seemed like really amazing places and people, there were all these kind of serendipitous connections that were made. I mean, the people working next to each other, friendships, um, there's something there. The question was just, um, you know, the way in which, how much money was raised, what was done with the money, yeah. you know, those well, did were- it all, I mean, very briefly, Maureen, did it all basically end up in the Newman's pocket? or in other senior employees. I mean, the money went somewhere. Investors poured huge amounts of money in one door, the front door, and it went out the back door into Adam Newman and Rebecca Newman's pockets. Is that fair, basically? I mean, a huge amount of it did. Each step of the way it did. I mean, he was taking money out in every most rounds. He took huge loans out against his stock at a $47 billion valuation. As we said, it, I mean, that went down to $3 billion by the time he left the company. And then when he left, the company essentially kind of fell apart, turned the valuation shrunk. The investors and employees were left with shares that seemed worthless. Yet Adam Newman walked away with something. Yeah, not only did he walk away with it, but as you and uh, Elliot now report in the journal, he just bought a place for two Miami Beach properties for $44 million. I know he's being sued and will be sued. Is there any potential criminal charges against Newman? I, it does not seem like it. I mean, there was a lot of, um, there were a lot of investigations around the company, around Newman, and it seems like they've gone quiet. I mean, you never know. The thing is with what he did, um, you know, a lot of people have said to me, oh, is he like Elizabeth Holmes of, you know, Theranos fame, the yeah. woman who built this blood testing company and the, the technology just didn't work. Adam Newman, I mean, it's, it's a very different level. I mean, uh, what we were saying is he was telling people it was the company was something it wasn't. People were accepting what he said. The world's most sophisticated investors, J.P. Morgan, Fidelity, Harvard. Um, yet, so he did a lot of things that seem really... Although Holmes convinced a lot of smart people as well. So that's not unusual. I mean, <laughs> these smart people want to be convinced. They're easy to seduce. I think sometimes the smarter the person, the easier they are to seduce. Um, exactly. But he, I guess what the thing is, there were times where he didn't make everything clear, but if you bought into his company, he would tell you, I mean, you would see projections and he would give talks about this company, you know, we're going to be so profitable. It's going to do so well. And if you looked at the previous projections, they hadn't lived up to them. Basically a lot of things that were done were very unsavory, but they were in plain sight. If you looked, they weren't necessarily, Right. He didn't like uh, what Holmes did was she just made up the experiments to suggest or, or argue that she had a product that she didn't. Finally, uh, Maureen, your epilogue is brings us back to Earth. I mean, this is an absurd story. And yet at the end of the book, you say, well, things are back to square one. Um, 
you say in your epilogue, in a case of history repeating itself, WeWork began flirting with the latest trend, the new spigot of money. Uh, that's, of course, the SPAC that we, we talked about earlier. Um, you, you also talk in your uh, epilogue about Airbnb and uh, a number of other startups uh, doing astronomical IPOs. Has anything changed? Uh, in the summer of 2021, sure, WeWorks isn't valued at $50 billion, but even it's coming back. Has anyone learned anything from this latest chapter in um, in Gatsbydom in Silicon Valley or in tech? It's a great question. And I mean, I'll just tell you, we rewrote that epilogue so many times up until the bitter end. Because when we first wrote it, I mean, it, there was this wake up, there was this sort of, uh, you know, moment where people said, wow, look at WeWork, there was a chill around Silicon Valley, people didn't want to see unprofitable companies, the pendulum had swung, ba swung back. Now the pendulum once again seems to have be swinging back a different way. And, um, and we're still in this low interest rate world where uh, investors want to take risks and are willing to sort of overlook reality it seems like and i mean some of these facts you're mm. seeing all these companies going so much money yeah that raised. comes back to your uh your 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 quote from uh john kenneth galbraith at the beginning of the book built into the speculative episode is the euphoria the mass escape from reality that excludes any serious contemplation of the true nature of what is taking place so what you're suggesting is that Galbraith's observations of speculative manias haven't changed in the last two or three years, and 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 WeWorks has taught us nothing. It certainly feels like that more than we would have ever expected. I mean, it just seems like there was a, a brief wake up from that era, and maybe things were, uh, you know, there's a little bit of rationality entering the market. And with some of the things you see right now, I mean, it's hard to it's hard to see that rationality there with some of the companies going public, the money into SPACs and the, the frenzy. And we haven't even talked about crypto, Maureen. Yeah. <laughs> well, maybe that will be the subject of your next book. Uh, I think it's really important that we have uh, hardworking, incredibly intelligent um, uh, network and, and strongly networked journalists like um, like Elliot Brown and Maureen Farrell, their new book, The Cult of We, We Work, Adam Newman, and The Great Startup Delusion, will or should teach us lessons. It's up to us to learn those lessons. Maureen has done a wonderful job with this new book, The Cult of We, in, in providing the, the story, the unbelievable story of WeWorks. If, 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 if you made it up, people wouldn't believe it. It's It's all... It's really quite incredible. Congratulations on the book. I know your reading, Maureen, uh, after this is The Circle. I think you'll find yeah. it very interesting. Um, we're in a post-COVID age, kind of, where we're still stuck at home. And indeed, perhaps another time we can talk about the impact of COVID on, on the WeWorks experiment and the idea of working together. But um, what else do you think, in addition to your new book, uh, The Cult of We, should people be reading to make sense of the the, the, the mania, the, the mania still surrounding the digital economy. Um, may I tout my, uh, my employer and my colleagues? I mean, I do think. Of course. The Wall You're Street employed Journal. by uh, Rupert Murdoch. I didn't know he had any books out. <laughs> he, um, I mean, I would just say, I, I, to give some credit to my colleagues, I think there is a little bit of a, 
you know, rationality around just kind of explaining what's happening and hopefully not getting too caught up, giving some perspective to explain the market. I mean, that was one of the things we sort of unpacked in the book. Mm. With so which book, which book in particular are you thinking about? You, you, people should just read the Wall Street Journal or is yes. there a particular book people should read in addition to yours? Um, I mean, I it's hard not to, um, I mean, just for a fun, if you want another fun read that doesn't, uh, you know, makes you question reality. Uh, I would. It's hard not to recommend Bad Blood. Um, if you want to, if you want a fiction book, that's. And true. who's uh, who wrote Bad Blood? Uh, it's our former colleague John Kerryru. Um, that is on Theranos, and right, uh, it's a good book. Um, but no, I, I was just saying the, the Wall Street Journal in general. Just to at this moment in time, it feels like just to to have some kind of sobriety around understanding mm-hmm. what's going on and. Um, I don't know, just sort of some measured feedback on this, you know, the euphoria that we're still seeing day to day. I agree. Sobriety, the S word is all important. It's interesting that the Wall Street Journal seems to offer that and the Financial Times actually more than some of the other newspapers like the New York Times and the Washington Post, perhaps because the Post uh, is owned by one of the titans of tech. Anyway, Maureen uh, Farrell, the co-author of we, the cult of uh, we, put new book about WeWorks. Congratulations on the book. Keep well, and we'll talk again about tech manias and the insanity of the startup world. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. Enjoy the conversation.